So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on calls, and emergencies, how can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market? That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. Welcome back, OTOers. As I said in the intro, today we're going to delve a little bit deeper into salutogenic practice or salutogenic medicine, the practice of what I like to call high-performance veterinary medicine. Now, salutogenesis is a very interesting topic. And last time, we talked about how it kind of compares to pathogenesis or the negative mental health aspects that can go with veterinary practice. Now, as a quick review, or just hit that back button and listen to the previous episode, pathogenesis, as we know, has a starting point of kind of disease or a problem, a mental conflict, whether that's negative work-life balance, whether that's negative overall well-being, a lack of life satisfaction. The, the starting point of a pathogenic mental state is one of kind of disease. And the ultimate thing that you seek to do when you take this pathogenic approach is to eliminate the risk factors for that disease, to focus on preventing the pain of that disease getting you back to more of a homeostatic normal or basically mental state in which you don't feel these negative thoughts. Really, it's for those of you or for those individuals who need kind of this healing here. Now, as I said last time, I challenge this perspective because I believe in veterinary medicine, there's much more to practice than simply returning to this homeostatic normal, simply returning to this mental state where there's not any negative mental feelings. And instead, what I proposed is the salutogenic approach, where the starting point is health defined. It's this positive or flourishing state of mental health. And it works kind of to create an environment in which the default for you mentally, your default for you professionally, developmentally, is a positive is in that net positive above that homeostatic normal. And it focuses, again, to promote your growth, your gain, your motivation towards that end. It's kind of for those of you who are expecting a little bit more out of veterinary medicine, who don't just want to exist. And there's nothing wrong with that. I believe we talked about that last time, right? We talked about how it's okay to just want to collect a paycheck, go home, and seek other areas of validation, other areas of fun, other areas of flourishing within our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's definitely a subset of you veterinarians who want to be salutogenic practitioners, who want to achieve this higher level. And that's what today's episode is all about. Looking at how we do that for you guys, for the individuals who just think there's just a little bit more, just think that there is a positive aspect to our profession. Now, knowing that if we actually dive deeper into Antovsky's salutogenic principles, we find that there's basically four aspects to salutogenesis. There's what he calls a sense of coherence, which is kind of this triad of different skill sets that help you to become more resilient, to be able to cope more readily. 
And Tavaski then described what he called kind of other answers or what I like to call the intangible factors. These are the skill sets oftentimes that at operators owners, we seek to manifest within our practitioners. These are things that give you resiliency, give you a mindfulness, self-awareness, the types of skills that can help you identify the problems that are present within your life, but you might not even have known were causing your issues. These other answers play a key role in your ability to practice at a salutogenic level, to enjoy, to flourish within veterinary medicine. The third aspect of Antovsky's salutogenic practice is defined health. Basically saying, what is the definition of salutogenesis? And this might vary between practitioners. And I'll propose my definition, the definition I think that I've seen applied not only for myself, but for various other high-level, high-performing practitioners. Many of the individuals that I see as the top 1, 5, 10% of practitioners within our field. And then finally, Antovsky wanted to tie this into health and say, what is the physical or what are the physical manifestations of coherence, the physical manifestations of the salutogenic state and their effects on our health? How does this pursuit of flourishing within veterinary medicine help us live longer, help us become more resilient mentally, and ultimately just help us to be better entities within this world? So we want to delve into these. And first one we're going to talk a little bit about is this sense of coherence. Now, the sense of coherence is a really interesting concept because it kind of comes, as I said, in a triad. And I like to think of it like a triangle. And each point of that triangle is a different key aspect to understanding the sense of coherence. So at the top of that pyramid, we have a concept known as comprehensibility. Basically, what this is, is saying, are you able to understand, to identify, and to be able to kind of define the challenge in front of you? Because you can't take on a challenge unless you clearly understand what it is, correct? And this skill really leans heavily on self-awareness and social awareness, which are key aspects to emotional intelligence, which plays a big role, honestly, within salutogenesis. But these aspects of self-awareness and social awareness mean that you can see the problem kind of coming or you can see where the problem came from and you begin to understand its finer aspects. You begin to understand what caused it to happen, where it's headed, and the challenges that might be associated as you move forward. And once you make these things comprehensible, then you can begin to engage kind of the two or the next two factors of the sense of coherence. The first of which being meaningfulness. And what this is defined in Antovsky's terms is the motivation to make sense of this problem, to understand it contextually, how it applies kind of within yourself. It's a more of a self-awareness problem or within the social aspects or social awareness aspects around you and to understand how you can take that and tie it into something that's meaningful to you. And the reason this is important is because when things are meaningful, much more likely to be resilient in the face of challenge against them, to take on the stressor. 
And this works very nicely hand in hand again with that comprehensibility. Because when you have a very clear definition of a challenge, you can very clearly begin to assign it to something that's meaningful to you. Now, if you go back, oh boy, to our first 10 podcasts or so, and I'll link this in the show notes, we talk a little bit about finding what you actually want from your career and why you want it. And this is where taking the time to understand what you want and why you want it is so key because it allows you to take a challenge, to take a problem, something that you need to be resilient in the face of and tie it to that want or why to give you a driving factor to kind of push you forward, to push you through it. Many times I see individuals do very, very well with this when we start to think about it from a physical aspect, right? So if we're in a very hard herd check and you're being forced to work really hard, maybe palpating many hundreds of cattle or working at weird angles or working very long hours, whether it's very physically draining or very mentally draining, individuals are able to overcome that very easily because they tie it to their profession. They tie it to doing a good job for that client. And that's the same kind of thing that you need to be able to do for yourself in a professional development setting is to identify that challenge and then take that challenge one step further and attach it to something, something that much like satisfying a client need or currently addressing a client problem would have in yourself or within yourself. Now, the final corner, the final aspect of that triangle of sense of coherence is something called manageability. And this concept leans really heavily on something called self-efficacy. In essence, general self-efficacy basically says you believe you have the tools you need to overcome things, to take on the challenges of life. And that's what this manageability is in the sense of coherence. It's do you believe that you can manage this? Do you believe that you have the physical and mental resources to overcome this? One of the key aspects of manageability when I work with clients is understanding their innate strengths. That's why one of the first exercises I do with most of my clients is the StrengthsFinder 2.0 exercise. It's why I talked about this in this month's newsletter. Because once you understand your tools or the tools in your tool belt, you're better able to understand how you can overcome challenges. Now you take that challenge, you use those tools, you tie that challenge to something important to you. And now if you have a clearly defined challenge, you understand the tools that you have within your tool belt to address it. And you're driven because this is a meaningful problem to you. There are very few things that you can't overcome, very few storms that you can't weather. And this is why this is Antovsky's first kind of principle or first aspect of Slugenic medicine, because this is so important to craft in this environment of resiliency. Now, if we look at the second aspect of Slugenic medicine that Antovsky talks about, it's what we call those other answers, those other factors. But I like to say the intangibles that we have that make us more resilient, because we each know individuals in our lives and even within our profession who seem to be more resilient than others, who seem to have endless amounts of energy, who seem to be able to take on the biggest types of problems. And these individuals oftentimes 
are able to go beyond even the sense of coherence, the ability to be very self-aware, the ability to tie things to meaningful life experiences, and the ability to understand their tools. And they use these other factors, these other things to help them almost facilitate this manageability, to add even more tools to their belt. Now, I like to break down these other factors kind of into two categories. You have this intrapersonal or basically factors that work within yourself to make you more resilient and better able to cope. And this interpersonal factors that work externally, factors that help you to kind of utilize the network and the people around you, the things that you've built up with the individuals within your community, within your clinic, within your social circles that make you a little bit more resilient. So delving first into that interpersonal aspect, we can think about the network that you've crafted. We've talked a little bit in the past about the difference between strong and weak connections and the really meaningful connections that we can build, such as a medium strength connection, the connection in which we understand a lot about each other. We understand a lot about each other's strengths and weaknesses and how we can help each other. And this aspect, this number of medium connections that you've built, the really meaningful connections in the industry can really be a aspect that can help or help you to lean on during a time of high resiliency need. These are the individuals who might be mentors, who might be peers who are going through similar life experiences, or even external resources that can help you to cope with mental challenges, with these stressors, with the burnout, with the work-life imbalance, with a drop in well-being. The other thing that can help in an interpersonal aspect is honestly a great management team and a management team that believes in things like motivational hygiene theory. And that's to say that they support these interpersonal interactions in which they understand that beyond a certain point, you cannot craft an environment in which an individual is going to feel fulfilled by giving them more status, by giving them more income, by making their job more secure. And instead, these management teams, these individuals who act as mentors with these people within our profession, the people that we look up to, the people who are managing us, they understand instead that only the opportunities to grow, the opportunities to be mentored, the opportunities to be exposed to the things that are our salient interests, the interests that are unique to us, meaningful to us, it is only through the exposure between us and other persons external to us that understand this in a management position that we can become more resilient. The individuals who are able to see the challenges we're going through provide us the relevant information to begin to overcome them and not just say, oh, you're having a hard time, you're having negative mental health, I think you just need a raise or you need some more days off or you need a new job title or new job responsibilities. You see, it is the ability to have these emotionally intelligent individuals around you that understand what human beings really need that add an aspect to this other factor, this intangible that each of us can manifest when we're thinking about solutionic practice. Another aspect of the interpersonal intangibles that I like to think about is a recent training I went through called Element B. It's a FIRO-based instrument, and this system basically says, do you understand interpersonal interaction? And this, again, plays a little bit of a role when we start to think about comprehensibility and sense of coherence. 
because element B talks about the types of interpersonal interactions we prefer. How much connectedness do we prefer? How much openness do we prefer? How much control do we prefer? What this means is that we understand the levels or different types of interpersonal interactions that can occur. Now, Fire Element B breaks this down into kind of three categories, openness, inclusion, and control. Openness refers to how much do we want to share with others? Do we want to share everything or a little bit? Inclusion says, how much do we need to be included in the events that go on around us? Do we want to be included in everything or do we prefer to be by ourselves? And then control obviously refers to how much control do we want to have over the situations around us versus how little control do we want to have? And a key aspect to these interpersonal feelings, the preferences that we have for interpersonal interactions is that we understand people are different that people have different levels of this, and we're able to identify this in them. Again, this plays a key role in this comprehensibility because it helps you with social awareness. But this is another intangible, interpersonal factor that can play a role. Now, looking more internally, we can start to think about mental skills, mental resiliency skills, basically positive psychology type of principles that can really help you as an individual be more resilient. Now, I'll give you six resources that I've leaned on, that I've crafted a lot of our curriculum off of at Operators to Owners, but these are six things that I think are key factors to help with mental resiliency. And the first is the progress principle. And this leans, again, back in that sense of coherence, very heavily on meaningfulness. In the progress principle book by Teresa Amabelli, talks about the importance of understanding what meaningful work is to you and getting to work on it every single day. This allows you to chase after meaningful work, to manifest meaningful work. And if you don't really define it, how are you ever going to be able to use that, or that, <clears throat> excuse me, that meaningfulness aspect of the sense of coherence? The next book I can recommend is Grit by Angela Duckworth. And it's a simple book that teaches you about resilience, teaches you about the science behind resilience and how grit, um, as Duckworth defines it, is used to help you to cope and overcome with problems that come in the face of your professional development. The next one that I really like is Learned Optimism by Marty Seligman. And this simply teaches you the power of an optimistic mindset, how to craft it. And a lot of the book, honestly, and the interventions given towards the end of the book are a lot about being very self-aware and crafting an environment of very mindful self-awareness to help you to begin to better understand, to better comprehend the challenge in front of you and to understand that it's not a permanent challenge, that it's not going to last forever, that it's not all your fault and really get you away from that pessimistic mindset into a more optimistic mindset. The next one that I recommend is Atomic Habits by James Clear. You guys have taught, heard me talk about this book before, but the crafting of and replacement of negative habits is incredibly important skill because in order to even begin to implement any of these aspects of intangibles, any aspect of sense of coherence, you're going to have to change at some level at least one to maybe 10 or 20 habits that you already have, whether they're mental or internal 
intrapersonal habits or external manifestations or actions. And this book's going to teach you to better understand habits, to better understand how to change habits. The next one I have for you is John Maxwell's Intentional Living. And this is all about finding your meaningfulness. This kind of ties in very nicely with the progress principle in that it helps you find your why, understand why your why is important and what you actually want from your career. The final book I have for you is a newer one, one that I've read relatively recently within the last year. And it's written by Dr. Dick Thompson, and it's called The Stress Effect. And in this book, Dick goes into understanding what goes into managing stress. And he's a very good author, very experienced. His education, his application of stress control comes from the U.S. military and specifically training special forces in decision-making in highly stressful environments. So it's a very applicable book, I think, to the front lines of veterinary medicine. And it has great interventional steps, seven steps that can be used to kind of craft this resiliency to stress to allow you to make good decisions in the face of stress. So these are the six books that I recommend for this intrapersonal aspect, these intangibles that help you be more resilient, that help you cope with problems, and again, help you to live in that flourishing state more often, keep you above homeostatic normal much more easily. Now, the third aspect of salutogenesis that Antovsky talked about is a definition. And it's kind of funny to me that this was the third aspect that Antovsky was doing because most people would define salutogenesis first and then have some interventional steps and the things that you could do to kind of develop it. But I think this is an appropriate spot for him to have the definition because you really, to understand salutogenesis, you really do have to have a pretty decent grasp of what a sense of coherence is. You really do have to kind of understand the intangible factors that can manifest and help manifest resiliency before you can really begin to define salutogenesis. Now, each individual, I believe, has to define salutogenic medicine a little bit on their own. Now, I, I can give you a guide, but everybody practices medicine a little bit differently. But my recommendation for salutogenic practice of medicine would be a practitioner who is very, very clear on their area of competency. They're very clear on how they plan to develop that area. They know what they really want from their career. They understand why they want it, and they know the steps that they can take to develop it. They have this unique understanding of their strengths and how they could manifest them in the pursuit of this want or why. This individual also is actively seeking training on improving interpersonal relationships, on helping to understand the different types of interaction that people like to have. Again, referring back to that FIRO element B training. And they're also actively crafting a network of medium strength connections of individuals who understand them, who they understand, who can work together with them to create this meaningful impact in the world who will allow them to kind of help them to manifest their competency in the world, all the while chasing after that meaningful work, expressing a unique level of autonomy in which they understand their meaningful work, they work on it every single day, and they're able to manage the day-to-day -day stressors through connecting them to that meaningful work. 
they're able to take that stress and to understand it or even compartmentalize that stress into a specific area and then turn or pivot and work on the meaningful work to them. That work that helps them move forward, that work that sets them up for a positive mental mindset. That's my definition of a salutogenic practitioner. And again, it might not be yours, but by sitting down after you start to understand sense of coherence and these intangibles, I think you guys can define salutogenic medicine in your own terms. And I invite you to take five minutes to stop right now and just jot down what you think salutogenic medicine looks like, what you think a flourishing state in veterinary medicine might look like. Final aspect of salutogenic practice, of high-performance medicine, the state of flourishing, is a mind-body connection. In essence, how does this salutogenic or flourishing practice affect us physiologically? And there's a lot of really interesting theories out there, and one of the ones that I really like is this cellular intelligence theory. And that suggests that kind of our cells and the biological environment they're based in, the intracellular environment, the intracellular environment can affect our mind and body function and vice versa. And what we've found or what researchers have found was that as we surround individuals with more resources, as we meet more of their innate needs, those things around them that they need to survive, we provide them with kind of that safety, with that security, with the income. Uh, we provide them with the support structure that they need, the information that they need, the resources to develop themselves. What we find is as their resources go up and their needs go down, that margin begins to increase, we find individuals start to have more choices. These choices allow them to be more autonomous or to seize more control. And as people seize more control, they're able to get out of the moment-to-moment whack-a-mole type of mentality where they're just trying to survive, and they start to think more long-term. And the beauty of this is where we start to see the transition that happens during salutogenesis, in which individuals, when they start to think long-term, start to make long-term decisions. These long-term decisions tend to be health-promoting or mental health-promoting behaviors. They tend to avoid risk-taking. And they tend to kind of go after the things that are more positive for them from a physical health standpoint, whether that's eating, whether that's interpersonal interactions and really actually thinking about them and crafting them in a way that they want them to manifest, whether it's their own interactions or their own thoughts and inducing kind of a positive mental health state. But as the gap between their resources and their needs grows, that autonomous change, the increase in choice really starts to manifest. And we see really interesting things when this happens in the research. We see things like findings that suggest that mindfulness meditation can reduce inflammation, cell mediate, can improve cell-mediated immunity, um, reduce biological aging. We can see things like when we have better optimism, when we start to think more optimistically, we see elevations in physical well-being. We see adaptive behaviors, improved cognitive responses. We see greater flexibility, more creative thinking, more efficient and elaboration or challenge of negative information that's given to us. We see physical manifestations on the other end. If we fail to achieve 
this gap or this increase in gap between resources and needs, if we shrink that, if we start to experience things like stress, and we know the negative effects of that, we see that stress can lead to actual atrophy or reduction in brain mass and weight. We can see long-term changes in the brain with long-term stress in which the brain basically starts to rewire and become less efficient. We can see the effects of a failure to achieve salugenesis on the cardiovascular system with changes in blood clotting, vascular changes, atherosclerosis, cardiac arrhythmias, myocardial infarctions. So we understand that if we fail to achieve salugenesis, it's not just simply, okay, we failed to do that. Our mental health might not be where it could be. What we understand is that a failure to achieve that can have significant physical effects as well. So this is why I feel so passionate that salutogenesis is this kind of overarching model that we need to pursue within veterinary medicine, because it's not only about improving the mental health within our profession, it's about improving the practitioner's longevity, improving their physical health and motivating and empowering them to continue to develop themselves physically and mentally, to continue to chase after this professional development, the personal development, the continued improvement. And that's why crafting, identifying these resiliency skills, the improving the coping mechanisms is so important. I see it very, very simply from my perspective as a coach, as a speaker, as a teacher within the profession, as my way of having the biggest impact I can on our profession. Because if I can help our profession realize the improvements that salugenesis can have, I can, one, increase the overall impact that each individual can have, right? They're going to manifest more meaningful work. They're going to be more driven to do that. And they're going to have more positive products come out. But number two, I can improve the longevity of practitioners that I get to work with. This means that their careers are 35 years instead of 30 years. They're able to handle working full-time versus having to deal with part-time because they can't handle the load mentally. The impacts that they begin to have on their clinics, on their communities, on our profession increase multiplicatively. That's why I believe so heavily in salutogenesis. That's why I believe so heavy, heavily on positive psychology. I think it's the best and quickest way to help practitioners increase their ability to improve the lives around them, to improve the medicine that they practice. So this is a little bit of a dive into salutogenesis. And salutogenesis is going to act almost as this overarching umbrella over all the psychological principles that we're going to select from as we move forward within operators to owners. We're going to make sure that each one of these principles aligns with salutogenic medicine. And we're going to talk to you a little bit about how it does that as we move forward step by step by step. So I'd like to thank you OTRs today for joining me, for listening, for joining, hopefully, the salutogenic train, the individuals who are very interested in crafting the state of resilience. Until next time, carry on. If you liked this content and want more, join our OTO community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook.
Also, check out our blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Please join our community for an active discussion about today's podcast, past podcasts, and other topics within veterinary medicine. Thanks again for joining us today, OTOers, and carry on.